that. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2 as we look and continue on this morning. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a story. Uh, I thought I've heard this before, and it just has to be read as we, as we look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11. I think it's so appropriate for us, and it's very, sometimes it's really difficult to get through it because um, it's so true. And you will probably laugh along with me. I'm going to alter it just a little bit, just sort of keep it down. But, um, but I'm going to alter it somewhat. But this is the story that was told. I got a letter from Grandma the other day, and she writes, I just want you to know that it's been such an unbelievable day today. I woke up this morning, and I listened to some of my favorite gospel music. And then I spent some time reading God's Word, talking to Him, and just listening to His voice. A little later that morning, I ended up at the local Christian bookstore because I was looking for a graduation gift for you. Um, and while I was there, I happened to see this, this sticker. And when I saw it, I just had to get it. I had to get it because on it, it said, honk if you love Jesus. I was so moved that I picked that sticker up because I just knew that there were other people that loved Jesus just as much as I did. So I brought that sticker and I went right out and I put it on the back of my car and boy, am I so glad that I did that. What an unbelievable experience. As soon as I got to the first intersection, I no more stopped at that red light and while I was waiting, I got to thinking about how great the Lord is and how good he's been to me. And I was in such heavy thought that I didn't even notice that the light had changed. But it was a good thing because somebody behind me loved Jesus too. <laughs> because if they wouldn't have honked, I never would have noticed. As a matter of fact, I ended up finding out that, believe it or not, there are a lot of people around us that love Jesus, and we might not even know it. While I was sitting there, the guy behind him started honking like crazy, and then he leaned out the window and started screaming, For the love of God, woman, go! Go! Just go, Jesus! Go! What an exuberant cheerleader that he was for Jesus. As a matter of fact, everybody got excited and started honking too. I just leaned out the window and started waving and smiling at all these people that love Jesus. I even honked my horn a few times to share in the love. And then there must have been a guy from Florida in the back because he started yelling something about a sunny beach. And I saw another guy <laughs> waving in a funny way outside the window with his middle finger stuck up in the air. I looked at my teenage grandson in the back seat and I said, Honey, what is he saying? What's he saying to me? And, and, it's, and he looked and he said, Well, Mom, Grandma, it must be something like an Hawaiian good look sign or something. Well, I'd never met anybody from Hawaii, so I just leaned out the window and I gave him a good look sign back. <laughs> My grandson started bursting out and laughing. Why, he, he was even enjoying this religious experience. A couple of people were so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars and they started walking towards me. Can you believe it? I bet you they wanted to ask, wanted to pray, or they wanted to know what church that I attended. But this is when I noticed that the light had changed. And so I waved to all my brothers and sisters, grinning, and I drove through the intersection. But as soon as I got to the other side, I noticed that I was the only car that got through the intersection before the light had changed. <laughs> I felt so sad. I had to leave all my brothers and sisters behind and all the love that we had shared. So I slowed down the car and leaned out the window and I gave him one of those Hawaiian good luck signs just one last time as I drove away. <laughs> Maybe you've had that some, some type of this experience. <laughs> How many times have I been on the road 
How many times have I been driving down the road and I see an altercation that takes place in front of me? You see some actions or you see some words or, I mean, you see the movement of the car and you can tell, on, you can tell what's going on. And then as you get closer, you read this sign on the back that says, I love Jesus, how about you? Or would you join me at church this Sunday at? Or um, Jesus loves me or something along that sign. But see, I know that none of you in here, in here would ever act like that, would you? You'd never act, Kelly, you'd never act like that, would you? No. I know that we wouldn't do that. Um, because how many of us would ever act? Steve, what are you laughing at? <laughs> how many of us would ever act inconsistent with the faith that we say that we hold? Wow, something else. But what we're going to do today, we're going to look at a situation that was so important to a guy that, that um, he knew what he should be doing. But on the other hand, that wasn't exactly what he did. In the meantime, on the flip side, you're going to see the, the life of somebody who cared enough about him and who cared enough about the gospel that he said that he believed, that he confronted this man and he confronted him in love. I want you to make sure that you turn to Galatians chapter 2 in the New Testament as we read some of that today. Before we get started, um, I want to give you a little bit about some of the characters that are involved in this story because maybe it'll help you just a little bit as you, as you try to piece together what's taking place here. Um, Paul, you give me now some information about Paul. We've been talking about Paul. You tell me something about Paul that you've learned or something that you know. Answers. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. Somebody else. Give me something about his past. Something about. Give me just an overview. He was Saul. What else? He was a Pharisee. He had a conversion experience on the road to Damascus when he was on his way to persecute some believers there. What else? Anything else? Stephen? Stephen. That's right. We don't know, but we know that he was, yes, very much so, there with Stephen in the persecution of Stephen. He was also sent out by the church of Antioch um, to, to be a missionary along with Barnabas uh, to go and spread the gospel. What about Barnabas? So there's just a snapshot of Paul. What about Barnabas? Who was Barnabas? Does anybody remember what it, yes, ma'am, Bree? Okay, now we got in this conversation yesterday. Barnabas was really his nickname. His real name was what? Joseph. His real name was Joseph. And we first find him in the scriptures because early on as a believer in Acts chapter 4, we find out um, that he was one that because of his faith, he gave to the poor. He gave everything that he had to the poor he shared. What else? What else do you know about Barnabas? He was called an encourager. He was also the man who preaches, the one who preaches. What else did we learn about Barnabas in relationship uh, to Paul? He, re huh? He, he traveled with Paul. He reached out to Paul when nobody else would reach out to Paul. Everybody else was afraid of Paul. They thought that Paul was trying to trick him, but Barnabas reached out to him and embraced him. 
um, he was also sent out with Paul as a missionary. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 11 that he was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit and he was a good man and he was also full of faith. Man, that wouldn't it be a great way of somebody to characterize you if they were to write something down. I just want to let you know that Tom was a man of, he was a man of character and Tom was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He, he, was, he was a fine man of faith. Um, Peter. What about Peter? We know that Peter was what? A fisherman? Before he became a follower of Christ. Peter was the guy that told Jesus that he would never deny him, but he did what? He denied Christ. Yet after the resurrection, this is the same guy that comes back and he preaches the gospel and stands before all of these people. And in one day, more than 3,000 people believed uh, in Christ. Peter was the guy that would bring the message of the gospel to the Gentiles first in Acts chapter 10. Uh, but his greatest work was done among the Jews. Gentile believers, those, that, those were believers that were not of Jewish descent, yet they had trusted Christ uh, they had, and his teachings. They had not yet been circumcised because it wasn't part of their heritage. Titus would have been considered a Gentile Christian. There's another group of people that you'll see in this story that's called the Friends of James. Um, we assume that these were Jewish believers that held very closely to the necessity of circumcision. Uh, James was Jesus' brother, the early, the leader of the early church there in Jerusalem. And then there are the Jewish Christians, those that had been raised Jewish, those that had followed their Jewish uh, traditions, and those that believed in, that Jesus had died for their sins. And so you're going to see these characters as they interplay in this story in just a few minutes that we're going to, to be looking at. Um, but what Peter uh, knew to be true, and this is the sort of the scene, sometime after the Jerusalem council, uh, we know uh, in, in Acts chapter 15, and this is where Peter would declare to them that the Gentiles, we're, we're not to make it hard to the Gentiles that were turning to faith. Peter traveled to Antioch to sort of hang out with Paul and Barnabas to sort of maybe see what was going on. And Antioch was the headquarters of the Jewish or the Gentile church at that time. And when he arrived, um, he just sort of hung out with everybody. It didn't really matter, Connie. It didn't really matter if they were Jewish. It didn't matter if they were Gentile. It didn't matter. Um, he just fellowship with all of them. And there wasn't any fear there. There was no division. There was no distinction. And it wasn't about the color of a man's skin or nationality that mattered. But what mattered was their commitment to Christ. And what Peter knew to be true, though, and what Peter had preached all of a sudden would come under fire and it'd be put to the test. Because while he was there, he would go from hanging out with the Gentile believers to, to totally separating himself. Uh, he would go from socializing with these Gentile believers to ignoring them. And it's amazing because the change takes place. The attitude, the direction of his attitude changed about the time that these guys showed up that were called the friends of James. Um, and so uh, we don't, again, we don't know why they showed up. Some people seem to suppose that, that, uh, that the early church had put them up to come there. We don't know why they showed up, but all that we know is that they did. And when they did, the complete attitude of everything changed. One day, Peter is buddy-buddy with them. The next day, he turns their back, and he wouldn't even give them the time of day. Every so often, uh, I don't know how in the world a lizard gets on the porch at the house, but a lizard would get on the porch at the house. And uh, it's funny because... Sometimes you don't catch that lizard. Sometimes he stays on the porch for a while. But if Anna finds him, he's out of here, okay? But that lizard will run around. And it's funny because he changes colors based on what's he's, what he's around. 
If he's sitting on the ledge, he's a certain color. If he's sitting on this piece of furniture, he's a certain color. If he's sitting on that piece of furniture, he's a certain color. If it's the time of day and the sun is shining on him, he will be a certain color. But, but this lizard will change colors based on their surrounding. And believe it or not, it seems that a lot of Peter's actions were similar to that lizard that I find on the porch from time to time. He would change, his actions was, would change based on the people that he was around. Now, before you get too upset about Peter, have you ever done anything like that? Sean, I know that you've never acted in such a way. Dave, I know that you've never acted in such a way. But we have the tendency to do that from time to time. We act like this over here. We act like this on the other side. For this group of friends, you act this way. And for another group of friends, you seem to act a certain way. But what I want you to do is I want you to enter into this story with me. And let's talk about what takes place here in this confrontation where Paul addresses Peter and how he's acting. Let's just see how he goes about it and what he does and some of the end results, if we can find out if there are some end results. Read with me in, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 and following as we start today. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Now, I don't know how you deal with conflict, but if you're like me, you probably don't like face-to-face -face contact, conflict. I don't mind doing it. Sometimes it's needed. But it's a whole lot easier to go to somebody behind their back and talk about it and try to find you some support, isn't it? But what we find right here is that is not what Paul did. Paul up front states, when he came to Antioch, I had to go and oppose him. And I went to him. I didn't go behind his back, but I went to his face. For what he did was wrong. What he did was wrong. And here's the situation. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And we all, we have to ask ourselves, well, why in the world wouldn't Peter eat with the Gentiles? What was the issue? This is what Paul said. Paul said he was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. In other words, he was afraid of what others might say. He was afraid of the backlash. He was afraid of what others might think. He was afraid of what others might say. And so here's Peter, one of the, one of the leaders in the early church, being afraid to stand up at that moment in time and do what it was right. Um, and again, we're at that place that it's easy for us to point fingers until we sit down and we look at ourselves in the middle, middle in the mirror and ask ourselves how many times, how many times have we blown it? How many times have we, have we claimed to be one thing and then our actions didn't match what we claimed to be? And I want you to see this and you can, you can think about this regardless of how we live, guys. People are always watching us. Karen? People are always watching. They're always watching. And look at what it says in verse 13. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. And as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. To which we say, not Barnabas. Barnabas is the guy that stepped out 
to go embrace Paul when nobody else would. This is the guy, the encourager, the one who preaches. And Peter comes in, and what he does has an influence not on the normal crowd, but it also has an influence in this guy by the name of Barnabas that we tend to hold so highly. And so here's Peter, the impulsive guy. This is the guy who one minute would stand up and, and be brave, and the next minute would take a seat and act like a coward. This is the guy who would get out of the boat in the middle of a storm and by faith in the same guy who would begin to sink because of lack of faith. This is the guy that said he would die for Jesus, but it would end up denying Jesus three times and would even go to the point or the extent of cursing those who would accuse him and say that he knew Jesus. And we look at all the inconsistencies in his life and it makes us really ticked off until we begin to understand as we look in the mirror that his life is an awful lot like ours. That we're all sinners. All sinners. And as I look at this, really there's two things about Peter that stands out to me. Um, one thing off the, off the top, and it says it, um, the issue of hypocrisy. And that word hypocrisy in the Greek means hypocrisies, which means to put on a show, to pretend, to act out. Um, and he was fine. Listen, he was fine until what? Until the friends of James showed up. And then what did he do? He put on a show. He got up on stage and he acted out for them. And he responded out of fear. And, you know, I, you know, I was thinking about this, and, I, and as I was thinking, I thought to myself, you know, why do people on the outside not want to come on the inside? It's because they look on the inside and they see people who are what? Putting on a show. Putting on a show. Because they see the difference in how our lives are, the changes. The second thing that I thought about was, you know, Peter just, Peter's actions just didn't affect his life, but it affected other people. It influenced other people. It said that he, it affected the Jewish believers, that they followed him as well as Barnabas, the guy who stepped out to help Paul. And every one of us in this room, we need to understand that our lives, that we influence other people. And some people will say, Connie, I just don't want, to, I don't want that responsibility. Well, I'm sorry, it is what it is. Every one of us become influencers at some point in time. And you know that to be true because every one of us in this room has been influenced by somebody. Vicki, you've been influenced by somebody. Byron, you've been influenced by somebody. And regardless if you think it or not, you are an influencer to somebody. I love for you guys to be involved in the community. I love for you to be involved in local sports with, uh, with, with, with children. I love for you to be involved on school campus. You know why I love that? I love it because you have an opportunity to interact with the real world, to have an influence in the real world where people are at, not just do church on Sunday morning, but to live like Christ on the outside. The flip side of that, the danger of that is this. If you're not living for Christ, you become a negative influence. But you are an influence. Gail, you're having a good time rocking that baby, aren't you? You are an influence. But I want you to take a look here. Let's just see, because Paul cared enough about Peter. Even though Peter had all these faults and these issues that he was dealing with, Paul demonstrates his apostleship here by confronting Peter on these issues. He cares enough not only about Peter, but he also cares about, enough about the gospel. And let's see how Paul responds uh, and let's see how he confronts Peter. Uh, look at verse 14. When I saw 
that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws, in other words, you have already, you know that it's not by the Jewish laws that you're, that you're saved, and you are living like a Gentile by faith. Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? And there are five things here, five things that I believe that, that he addresses, that Paul addresses, five major issues that were at stake that you'll find, five issues that cause conflict and threaten the unity of the body of believers. And look here at what he addresses and what he says. Number one, the body of believers, the, the unity of the body of Christ. As a follower of Christ, Paul, Peter being a part of the body and in the body, he had already come to realize in the past, the present, and what had been taken out, the, the Lord had already revealed it to him. The Holy Spirit had already reminded of him. And Peter had already preached it, that there was no distinction between Jew and Greek. Um, and he even went to the home, even when the Jewish laws uh, said not that a Jew was not to go to the home of a Gentile, he had already done that in the form of going to Cornelius' home. And God had spoke to him and said there wasn't anything more about being clean or unclean. And he said this, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. And he restated the same thing at the Jerusalem Council back in Acts chapter 15 that we've talked so much about. But all of a sudden, here he was, Peter, acting as if there was a difference. Because when he first came, he hung out with the Gentile believers. But all of a sudden, things begin to change when the friends of James arrived. Today, our prejudices might not necessarily be as they were in Peter's time, but they may be over color of skin. They may be over size or wealth or lack of wealth. Could be a denominational differences. Um, could be doctrinal differences. And Paul said, no. You said it yourself, Peter. God shows no favoritism. The family of God is reserved for all who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I will not let you threaten the unity of this body of believers. Look at verse 15 and 16. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right, and you might want to underline that. Your Bible might say justified or justif uh, justification. Yet we know that a person is made right or justified with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we've believed in, in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right or justified with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right or justified with God by obeying the law. Now, one of the questions that we've always had in the Old Testament, the New Testament even today, is this, how is a man made right with God? That's always been a question. You may even hear that question as you go to work. That's one of the questions that is posed. How can a man be declared innocent in God's sight? And the answer is justification through Jesus Christ. Let me define what justified means. The word justified means an act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous through Jesus. I want to repeat that for you if you want to write this down. Justified is an act of God where he, God, declares us, the believing sinner, righteous through Jesus. Now there's some key elements of justification. Number one 
It's an act of God, not a, it's not an act of man. It's an act of God, not an act of man. It's not our character or our works. Romans chapter 8 verse 33 says this, it's God that gives us a right standing through Jesus. The other thing is this, it's an act. It's not a process. It's an immediate transaction that takes place. It's not a gradual process. When you are justified, it is immediate deposit into your account that wipes your slate clean. It is not a gradual process. It's not the more I work, the more I become saved. I had to go back and I had to think about that because for many years I, I've used the phrase in the process of being saved. And, I, and I, as I read this, I go, no, no. Not in the process of being saved. I am saved. I am saved. Immediate transaction. Sanctification is that process that comes after that. But my salvation is secure. I've been sealed. The debt has been paid. Romans chapter 1 says this. It's the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And it's this and this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. That's Romans 1.17. Galatians 3.11 says, No one can be made right by trying to keep the law. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Hebrews 10.38, And my righteous ones will live by faith. We are made right, justified once. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right, since we've been justified in God's sight by faith, how are we made right? How are we justified? By what? Faith. What is faith? Forsaking all I trust Him. You remember that little, that little definition that we've thrown out? Forsaking all I trust Him. It's faith. It's not by me, but it's by God. It's by faith. We have peace with God by, uh, because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And when Peter didn't eat with the Gentiles... What he was saying was to the Gentiles that you aren't good enough. You aren't good enough. But we find in Romans that it says 3.23, For all have sinned and all of us have fallen, glory, uh, fallen short of the glory of God. Because we aren't saved by our position. We aren't saved because of our heritage. We aren't saved because of our race, our denomination, our looks, or anything else. There's a great passage of scripture in, in Psalms chapter 32 and I was reading it to the kids this morning. And I'll read it to you. Because what is needed is confession. What is needed from us is confession. We are saved as we confess our sins and we believe. And this is what the psalmist wrote. In Psalms chapter 32, oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Guess what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived complete in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sins, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. It's very difficult. It is impossible to be saved unless you realize your sinfulness and your need for a Savior. 
as I look across this room, there's some great people in here. But none of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, finally I came to my senses. Finally, I confessed my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide my guilt And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And all of my guilt is gone. See, you can have been baptized. You can be in church every time the doors are open. You can work in a children's environment. Um, You can coach a softball team. You can coach a baseball team. You can lead a small group Bible study and not know the Lord because you think it's all about my works. It's impossible to be saved because of our works. We'll address that a little bit later on. But verse 17, he also addresses our freedom from the law as believers. But suppose we seek to be made right or justified with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I had already told down, tore down. Paul knew that the freedom to live for Christ didn't come through obedience to the law. Peter knew that. And it was Peter himself that had already stood up in front of his peers and other people and had talked about that. And it was like Paul was saying, why in the world are you trying to get the Gentile believers to hold on to and accept something that you yourself know doesn't work? You can't live up to it. How in the world do you expect them to live up to it? And Paul is saying to Peter, we didn't find salvation through the law, so what in the world makes you think that they can? Why are you wanting to build back something that has already been torn down that you found by experience didn't work? What you're saying with your actions is that Christ isn't enough, Peter. What you're saying is that Christ's death on the cross wasn't enough. And what you're saying is that you are denying everything that God did through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I will not let you do it. You're wrong. You're wrong. And he goes on to say in verse 19 as he defends the truth of the gospel, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Do you know that the Bible teaches us that if you can't keep all the laws, if you break one of the laws, you are a what? You're a sinner. If you break one of the laws, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. It's impossible. Paul knew that it was impossible to be saved by the keeping of the law. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I put it aside. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. And this is one of my favorite verses. And I don't have it memorized in the New Living Translation, but I have it memorized from the New International Version. For I am crucified with Christ... Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave 
himself for me. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 says this through 13. When you came to Christ you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. It wasn't through circumcision of the flesh. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of that sinful nature. For the old self were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. We are saved by faith because he died for us. We live by faith in Christ because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And this reference to, to baptism, it says that when we trust Christ, the Bible tells us that we become a new creation in Christ because the old has come, it's been buried, it's been put to, the, it's been put to death, and we've been raised to walk in a new life, and baptism is a symbol of that transformation. For the Jews, it was circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It was an outward sign of, of faith. It was an outward sign of the covenant that they had with God. But for those of us that are, have trusted Christ, that baptism is an outward sign of really what's going on on the inside. But that does not save us. It doesn't save us. And look at there at verse 21 is he also defends the fact, the truth of God's grace. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for I, if keeping the law could have made us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. The way that Peter had acted toward the Gentiles was that Peter was saying by his actions that God's grace wasn't sufficient, that Jesus' death wasn't enough, that his payment on the cross 2,000 years ago didn't cover the entire debt, so there had to be more. And you remember the issue that Paul was writing back to the Galatians because these people had came back in and said, there's more to it than just believing in Jesus Christ. There is more. And Paul addresses Peter and he says, every time, Every time that we do that, every time I live as if my actions have something to do with God's acceptance of me and my salvation, I am just like Peter saying that there was no need for Christ to die because I could handle it. Think about that. When you live as if salvation has something to do with your works, your actions, your, I mean that you have something to do with it, what you're saying is that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. The law tells us what to do. God's grace says it's been done. And it's God's love that compels us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be doers. So here's Paul in this interaction risking the relationship that he had with Peter to get some things straight. The funny thing is we never know how Peter responded this time. We don't ever know what the final outcome of this conf confrontation was. But what we do know is this, that in Peter's writings in First and Second Peter, we do know that what Peter wrote down seemed to be consistent to what he and Paul had discussed at this time. So what are we learning? Paul loved the people at Galatia. He cared deeply for them. He didn't want them to go astray. This is a man who not only loved them, but he invested his life in them. And he's concerned because he didn't want them to stray from the truths that they had been taught. 
And that's the same thing for us. May we never be a people that believe that our works have something to do with our salvation. That it's all because of what Christ did for us. It's all because of the price that he paid. It was something that we didn't deserve. It wasn't something that we earned. But it was a free gift. And why? Because God loved us. And there's some of you here that have been on that gerbil uh, wheel and you've been trying to make it happen. You know, Brian played a song earlier and it said something about open hands. And you know what open hands mean? It's a symbol of surrender. Some of us want to come to God this way. God, I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to come to God on, your, on my terms. I'm going to hold on to this part over here, and I'm going to control this because I can handle it. Because I don't believe that what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago was enough, so I'm going to handle it. But this is the way that you come to Jesus. I need you because I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, and I know that couple of questions that I thought are very appropriate. Paul's love for the gospel compelled him to confront Peter. Does your love for the gospel compel you to confront other people? But before you do, make sure that you clean up behind your door. Judge lest you be judged. It doesn't say not to judge. It says judge, bet you, judge lest you be judged because Vicki because once you start that process, honey, watch it because it's coming back. The same measure that you pass down on somebody else will come back to you. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say not to judge. But it says judge lest you be judged. So when that time comes and you feel like you need to address something, make sure that your life is right. Do you love somebody to confront them if need be? Don't go behind somebody's back. That's what destroys churches today. Don't go behind somebody's back. Go to their face. Sit down and talk to them. And make sure that what you're saying isn't just based off of your feelings. Make sure it's not based off of what you like or what you dislike. Go because it's about the gospel. The other question was this. Whose life are you influencing? As I think about Peter. And what impact are you having? talk about Paul and confronting let's talk about Peter and about influence because you're influencing somebody I don't know who it is but I know that you're influencing somebody whether it's somebody at school whether it's somebody at work whether it's somebody at play whether it's somebody at church you are influencing somebody I promise you and I know that because you have been influenced by somebody um as we celebrate um, Memorial Day, Memorial Weekend, you know, Brian and I talked about this earlier. We need to remember those that have sacrificed their lives for us, for us to have freedom. There were some videos that we could have shown that were really politically driven, and Brian made that. He goes, man, we're not into politics. Um, but we need to remember those that have sacrificed their lives. 
How many of you know somebody or you have served um, in the armed forces? Anybody? Thank you for the price. I, as, I, as I walk through one of the most moving experiences for us the last time that we were in um, was in Washington because we are so removed, guys, from what goes on around the world. We live in Wildwood or Fruitland Park or Oxford, you know. We, we're so removed from what really is going on around the world, guys. You're isolated. But when you walk through a place like Arlington Cemetery or you see the monuments in Washington that have been set up as a, as a reminder for all those that have, who's, lo who's lost their lives for our freedom, it is an overwhelming sense. May we never, ever forget the price that people have paid so that we can live in freedom. But on the same note, may we never ever, ever forget what Jesus Christ did on the cross so that we could live in freedom and not be bound by the law. Because according to the law, none of us would make it. That it even begin to even begin to sit down inside of you of what Jesus did. And he did it because he loved us and there was no other way if you never trusted Christ I wish I could tell you it was easy as walking down an aisle and, and, and make saying a prayer or, or repeating a few words or being baptized or just coming to church and feeling a little bit better but listen it's coming to a place that you realize that you're a sinner that you can't save yourself and you get off that wheel and you stand before the Lord with open arms and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me. Will you save me? And that's not a decision that I can make for you. That's not a decision that your sister can make for you, your cousin, your best friend, or anybody else. It's a personal decision that you must make. And if you've never made that decision, my question is why not now? Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you so much. The word is very cutting. We take it, we read it, we learn from it, the desires that we would adhere to it. Lord, as, as we get ready to leave this place, my only prayer is if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus, there's somebody here that is broken, that if they're at the place in their life, they have no other place to turn. God, I know where they can turn. It's just whether or not they're willing, willing to confess their sin and to cry out to you. There's some here in this room, Father, that, that really would, would like the desire um, to be a Christ Father, but they still are just, they still feel like there's something else that they can do. But for the person that's here today, Lord, that says, I just want to, I want to know Jesus. I want to trust him. I want to be a follower of Christ. Would you help them realize today it's through the confession of sin and believing of what Jesus Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago, Father, that brings us to the place of saying, I believe.
and I want to follow. See, many of us in this room have done that. We've trusted Christ. And now we're in the process of living for Him. Not living to gain more salvation, but living for Him. If there's someone here, Lord, that has never trusted Christ, Lord, even this morning, would they admit their sin? Father, would they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? And would they even cry and say, God, I desire to live for you? If that's them, I'm asking that they would come to me this morning to identify, to say, I made that decision this morning. I wanted to trust Christ. For those of us that are believers, Father, may we be very mindful. Father, there may be times that we need to confront people in love. Lord, may we do that face to face. Father, of those of us that are believers, may we be reminded that how we live is an influence on other people, good or bad. But you've sent us into the world, Father, not to be enslaved by the world, but, Father, to be in the world so that we could be an influence. And so I pray, Lord, that as we leave to go out this out these doors today that we would be an influence in this community that we would be a light that shines <sighs> Father may we not be on stage may we not be like this on Sunday and a different person on Monday may we represent you thank you for this day and Lord if there's somebody here that's crying out and say I want to know Jesus I want to trust him. Would they see me this morning for the rest of the challenges for us to go out and to make a difference as we live? May, you, may it be a safe memorial weekend for us. And Father, we recognize today and we celebrate that you, are, that you are an awesome God. And we recognize this. And Father, this morning we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the most ultimate of all sacrifices in sending your son Jesus. And this is what I pray, and amen.